Bug Jargal by Victor Hugo, Chapter 45 Again, we started. Rask, who, during our conversation, had frequently tried to make us renew our journey by running toward us and demanding, with a peculiar look, why we were stopping, bounded joyously before us. We plunged into a virgin forest. At length, after about half an hour, we came out upon a pretty green savanna, watered by living springs, and bordered by the primeval trees of the forest. Opening on the savanna was a cave, the gray face of which was shrouded by a mass of climbing plants, the clematis, the lianas, and the jasmine. Rask ran towards it barking, but at a sign from Pierrot he became silent, and without a word the latter took me by the hand and led me to the entrance of the cave. A woman, with her back towards the light, was seated on a mat in this grotto. At the sound of our steps, she turned. Friends, it was Marie. She wore the same white dress that she had on the day of our marriage, and the wreath of orange blossoms was still on her head, the last virginal ornaments of my young wife, which my hands had not taken from her forehead. She perceived me, recognized me, and with a cry threw herself into my arms, fainting from joy and surprise. I was dismayed. At her cry, an old woman carrying a child in her arms hurried from an inner chamber formed in the depth of the cave. It was Marie's nurse and my uncle's youngest child. Pierrot hastened to bring some water from the neighboring spring. He threw a few drops in Marie's face. She speedily recovered. She opened her eyes. Leopold, she exclaimed. My Leopold! Marie, cried I, and the rest of my words were stifled in a kiss. Not before me, for pity's sake, cried a voice in accents of agony. We looked round. It came from Pierrot. He was there, tortured by seeing our caresses. His bosom heaved, a cold perspiration bedewed his forehead. Every limb quivered. Suddenly, he hid his face in his hands and fled from the grotto, repeating in tones of anguish, Not before me! Marie half raised herself in my arms and following his retreating form with her eyes, exclaimed, Great heaven! Leopold, our happiness seems to trouble him. Can it be that he loves me? The exclamation of the slave had showed that he was my rival, but Marie's speech proved that he was also my trusty friend. Marie, answered I, as the wildest happiness mingled with the deepest regret filled my heart. Marie, were you ignorant of it? Until this moment I was, answered she, a blush overspreading her beautiful features. What? He loves me. I never perceived it. I clasped her to my bosom in all the madness of happiness. I have recovered both wife and friend, I cried. How happy am I, but how guilty. I doubted him. What? cried Marie, in surprise. Him? Pierrot? Oh, yes, you have indeed been in fault. Twice you owe my life to him, and perhaps more than life, she added casting down her eyes. Without him, the alligator would have devoured me. Without him, the negroes. 
It was Piero who rescued me from their hands when they were about to send me to rejoin my unhappy father. She broke off her speech with a flood of tears. And why, asked I, did not Piero send you back to Cap, to your husband? He tried to do so, replied she, but it was impossible, compelled as he was to conceal us both from the whites and the blacks. His position was a most difficult one. Then, too, he was ignorant where you were. Some said they had seen you killed, but Piero assured me this was not the case, and I was very certain also, for something would have warned me, and if you were dead, I should have died at the same time. Piero brought you here, then, asked I. Yes, my Leopold, this solitary cave is known only to him. At the same time that he rescued me, he saved all that remained alive of our family, my little brother, and my old nurse, and hid us here. I assure you the place is very nice, and now since the war which has destroyed the country, now that we are ruined, I should like to live here with you. Piero supplied all our wants. He used to come very often. He wore a plume of red feathers on his head. He used to console me by talking of you, and always assured me that I would be restored to you. But for the past three days I have not seen him, and I was beginning to be uneasy, when today he came back with you. Poor friend, he had been seeking for you, had he not? Yes, replied I. But if so, how can he be in love with me? Are you sure of it? Quite sure now, answered I. It was he who was about to stab me beneath your window, and spared me lest it should afflict you. It was he who sang the love songs at the pavilion by the river. Truly, exclaimed Marie, with naive surprise, he is your rival? And the wicked man with the wild marigolds is good Pierrot? I can hardly believe that. He was so respectful and humble to me, much more so than when he was our slave. It is true that sometimes he looked at me in a strange manner, but I attribute this sadness to our misfortunes. If you could only know with what tenderness he spoke of you, my Leopold. His friendship made him speak of you as much as my love did. These explanations of Marie enchanted and yet grieved me. I felt how cruelly I had treated the noble-hearted Pierrot, and I felt all the force of his gentle reproach. It is not I who am ungrateful. At this instant, Pierrot returned. His face was dark and gloomy, and he looked like a martyr returning from the place of torture, but yet retaining an air of triumph. He came towards me, and pointing to the dagger in my belt, said, The hour has passed. Hour? What hour? asked I. The one you granted me. It was necessary for me to have so much time allowed me in which to bring you here. Then I conjured you to spare my life. Now I pray you to take it away. The most tender feelings of the heart, love, gratitude, and friendship united then at this moment to torture me. Unable to say a word, but sobbing bitterly, I cast myself at the feet of the slave. He raised me in haste. What are you doing? cried he. I pay you the homage which I owe you, but I am no longer worthy of friendship such as yours. 
Your friendship cannot be pushed so far as to forgive me my ingratitude. For a time, his expression remained stern. He appeared to be undergoing a violent mental contest. He took a step towards me, drew back. He opened his mouth, but remained silent. The struggle was a short one. He opened his arms to embrace me, saying, May I now call you brother? My only reply was to cast myself on his breast. After a short pause, he added, You are kind, but misfortune has rendered you unjust. I have found my brother once again, said I. I am unfortunate no longer, but I have been very guilty. Guilty, brother. I also have been guilty, and more so than you. You are no longer unhappy, but I, I shall be so forever.'